forever. Dog. Hi, everyone. It's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. You may know me as the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Uh, I've written for television, for film, for comic books, for audio. Check out our uh, Audible series, Cut and Run, which stars Meg Ryan, Darcy Carden, Sam Richardson, and an all-star cast. It's really fun. We're very happy with how it turned out. You can check that out on Audible. I started doing this podcast almost 10 years ago because I wanted to have conversations about the business and process of writing with the people who were actually doing the writing of the television and films that I loved. I've learned so much over these almost 500 episodes. Um, and there's no slowing down. As long as everyone keeps making great TV and great movies, I'm going to find out how they did it. <laughs> it's endlessly fascinating to me. And if you're the kind of person who watches DVD extras, it's probably fascinating to you too. I'm lucky that there are so many of you who do find these conversations interesting and hopefully inspiring, as I always do. It's 2021. I'm recording this in early March. Um, and I think the last time I recorded an intro was like a year ago. So it seemed like a good time to do that. Um, hey, how are you all doing? What a year. Was it great for you? Probably, right? I mean, how could it be bad? <sighs> this has been uh, an interesting, you know, year, year and a half. Um, Thanks to all of you who have continued listening to the podcast. We have slowed production um, because who wants to record a podcast, right? I assume we all sort of had that feeling last year, like, is it worth it? I should just sort of lay low and hold close my loved ones. Um, so I hope you did that. And I hope, you know, you were overall healthy and safe and kept yourself sane. Um we did have some good episodes last year. I was really happy to meet and talk to a lot of those creators and writers. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, my year was, of course, strange. Um, a good thing that came out of it is that, God, probably in mid-March of 2020, um, my wife was like, hey, we should put on a show. You should do a Thrilling Adventure Hour show. Uh, people are stuck at home. They want to watch something. They want to take their minds off the world for an hour. Um, let's see if there's a way for us to do that over, you know, Zoom or, or something similar. Um, and she's smart and she was right. And we did a thrilling show and it was a great success and people really wanted it. It took her about three weeks to talk me into it. Um, and over the course of that time, we realized there was not at the time any all-in-one virtual venue, somewhere you could buy tickets and also watch the show. There was nothing that you could do where like you got a producer as part of the show. So um, again, my wife is very smart. And so she suggested we create one. Um, between us, we kind of knew how to do this. Um, she's in the nonprofit world and she's pretty tech savvy. Um, so she could work with some charities and figure out where the money could go from these endeavors. Um, and I know how to produce a show. And so, and I had the network to sort of reach out and ask people if they wanted to do shows. So that's what we did. And between March of last year and March of this year, we did about 60 shows, uh, all kinds. We did, you know, one of our first big shows with the Mr. Show reunion. Uh, Bob and David got the whole gang back together and did a show. Um, we did a Wet Hot American Summer reunion. 
uh, that was for the Biden campaign. So I'm saying, you know, we're probably responsible for getting him elected. Um, I got to do some fun, weird stuff that I really wanted to do, including a read of the Briscoe County Jr. Uh, script um, with Carlton Cuse uh, and Bruce Campbell and a lot of the returning cast, but also some some actors who I really love. Um, I got to do a read of the um, Heat Vision and Jack script with Jack Black uh, and Rob Schraub, and um, we couldn't get Owen Wilson, and so Taika Waititi joined us and did that, and like... It was bonkers. Um, all this stuff. John Hamm was in it. Like, we had a lot of fun um, doing a lot of shows. We wound up raising over a million dollars for various charities um, through all the shows. Um, so it feels like we did something worthwhile in addition to having something to keep busy and keep safe uh, and keep sane and work with creative people. Um, yeah, so that's that's no small thing. Um, anyway, we're continuing to do it because we really like it. If you go over to houseseats.live, houseseats.live, um, we've slowed it way down. We're only doing a few shows a month, but we have a bunch coming up. Um, so check it out. Uh, there's cool stuff coming, um, including live versions of some of my favorite podcasts, including the Best Pick Pod, which is an Academy Awards podcast. Um Celebrity Book Club with Chelsea DeVantes, who is just a terrific person and very funny. Um, we have an amazing guest for that. We're doing some more Thrilling Adventure Hour stuff. Um, check it out. Uh, I, I would love to keep doing these live shows um, in this format and also, you know, in person would be fun to do also. Um, How Seats Live was sort of the thing that kept me going last year in many ways, um, in addition to cooking and baking a lot, um, because there was no work. Uh, I know that there were virtual rooms. I know they were out there. I know there was some staffing, um, but it was tough. It was tough out there. Um, I don't think I got paid for any writing work last year, and that's frustrating. Um, and when Ben Acker and I realized that that was going to be the case, um, we had a couple things die early on because of the pandemic. Um, and then, I, I don't know, we've talked about this on the podcast too, like it was hard to get any traction. It was hard to get any momentum going because people's minds were not on work as well they shouldn't be. Um, anyway, when we saw that this is probably going to be the case, um, we did the thing that we were able to do which is to write. Um, and we were lucky that we got to do it. Um, but I do think, you know, as writers, it's the thing we always have, right? You can write. You can take out a pad of paper. You can take out, sit down at your computer. You can write something. So we wrote two new feature scripts um, that we're really happy with. They're both horror movies. Um, I'm making a concerted effort to write more horror. Um, horror is what I've always loved, and I feel like I wasn't allowed to do it for a long time, and you can tell personal stories through that genre um, in a way that you sometimes can't through other genres. Um, so we wrote these two new horror features. We're really excited about them. We're hoping, you know, <laughs> someone will want to make them. Um, we wrote two new pilots also um, because... We wanted to, uh, you know, one of them was something that I had been thinking about all year and I know that other people were as well. Um, it captured a lot of sort of the 
both comfort and and what if uh, situation that we're in, um, and you know it took a lot of churning over. But luckily, what we had last year was time. <laughs> I guess that's the one thing we had, in addition to a pandemic. Um, so we wrote this new pilot that um, I'm really excited about and I really care about, and that's very personal. And I hope that someone will want to take a look at it. Um, so that's where we are. Uh, I've talked to a lot of writers and a lot, a lot of executives, um, and it seems like we're still in a kind of a desert and it's going to be a weird time in Hollywood for a while and stuff is getting made. Production, you know, is slowly starting up again. Rooms are starting up again, still virtually for the time being, which is good. Um, it's going to be a while till things are normal. Um, and it's still hard out there. It's still really hard. But again, we can write. So do that. Um, I'm doing it, and I hope you will too. Put new stuff out into the world. Please enjoy the show. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Before we get started today, let's have a brief chat with our old friend, Lila Cohan, who has a really cool new endeavor going on that she's going to tell us about. You know, I think when you when you are established and you have been writing for a while, it's easy to sort of fall into some like laziness or just like thoughtlessness. And so it's been nice actually working on being like, oh, right, like it would be I should treat the pilots I'm writing now like they're my first ones. Uh, yeah. Rather than totally. being like, all right, like. <laughs> um, Instead of phoning it in like you want to do. <laughs> Instead of just, let's just not be a hat today, just for one. <laughs> uh, I'm keeping that all in. Uh, we're talking to Lila Cohen. She's back. Um, <laughs> Lila is doing uh, this really cool, I guess, newsletter, you'd call it, um, called Room Snacks which folks can subscribe to. Uh, why don't you give the little, uh, uh, just a brief description and then we can talk about it a little bit. Terrific. So Room Snacks is a newsletter about uh, the art, craft, and snacks of TV writing um, coming from a certified TV writer, me. Um, I've written for Bridgerton, Special, First Wives Club, Santa Clarita Diet, uh, Telenovela, Awkward, bunch of stuff um and each week I'm sort of it's geared a little more towards the sort of early career writer but as we were saying I think that there's helpful stuff in there for anyone um but I you know the first few issues I've really been talking in very granular detail about how to come up with ideas what to do when uh you have an idea that someone else has uh what kind of idea is best for you uh, and then sort of the next series I think I'm going to do is about um, just the sort of really breaking down how to break a pilot. Um, that's great. That's something that felt very mysterious to me. Uh, and honestly, sometimes still does when I've been in a room for a while and then I have to go out and break a new <laughs> story by <laughs> myself. Um, but there's advice. Uh, there's a weekly open thread where people can chat out, which has been really cool to see um, people sort of forming a little bit of a community there uh, nice. and 
it is there is no free content people keep subscribing for the free option there is none um it's but it's 50 bucks a year and you get two newsletters every week the newsletter and the open thread i think that's a pretty good deal honestly it it really is especially for the kind of advice you're giving the kind of insights you're you're offering um and it's the kind of questions that i see asked of you know me of you of like Javi and Jose and like all these guys who are sort of publicly giving advice when they can. Uh, here it is in a nice, like codified way, all in one place with, with really an arc to it. Like you're a storyteller. Uh, yeah. and, and I think the advice comes out that way too, which is great. Yeah. It's been really, um, it's been really fun. Just all this stuff that I sort of have in my head constantly and would tell people when they're like, Oh, can I take you out for a coffee? Um, It's sort of that pouring onto the page of your email. Um, That's great. It's been a blast to write and I've gotten really nice feedback so far. So I'm really super excited about it. Understandably so. Um, And I think the way you're tackling it, which is to divide it into these chunks, which really are like frequently asked questions. Um, I, I thought that recent one about like what to do when someone has your idea or when you see your idea pop up like on deadline or something um, was great. Do you want to just talk like, I think that's a great example of the sort of short form advice that you're you're giving. Totally. So I talked a little bit about just like, you know, a story from my own history, which is the strip that I got staffed off of that was sort of like my starting out thing uh, is the strip Katie and Becca grow up. Uh, and you know it's a it was 2012 it feels like a very 2012 script um but it was these two friends they're like 28 but they're stuck in this sort of perma adolescence um they run into their best friend from college who now like went to grad school bought a house got engaged and they're like fuck her life is so much better than ours we gotta grow up but meanwhile she feels like she never uh experienced her 20s so she's leading them but as you can see they're all helping each other. Um, and that script got me an agent. It got me staffed. And when it got me my agent at the time, he was like, we're going to sell the script once you finish in this room. And so I was all excited. And then I was on deadline one day and I see uh, there had been a very popular Tumblr at the time that I think was then turned into a book called Adulting. Uh, oh, sure. Like grown up in 500 life lessons or something like that. And it had been sold to Fox as a put pilot, which sounded very fancy. I have since learned it's not. Um, <laughs> and like J.J. Abrams was producing it. Abby Cohn and Mark Silverstein were writing it. They're big deals. And I was like, oh, my God. And like called my agent and was like, it's urgent. <laughs> he calls me back and I'm like, is Katie and Becca dead? And he was like, what? No. Because um, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> like. Most shows, number one, are not made. So Katie and Becca did sell to uh, what was at the time still ABC Family. Uh, This show sold to Fox. Neither of them were shot. Um, So, you know, we all got paid. Uh, Probably Abby Cohn and Mark Silverstein a lot more than me. Um, (laughs) I was a baby. Um, But, you know, neither of them got made. Most shows will not get made. So there's plenty of sort of parallel development. And then... Even sometimes when things do get made, no one really cares. Like I talked about this in the newsletter, you know, Studio 60 and 30 Rock went on the same network, the same season. Uh, 
you know, they're friends with benefits and no strings attached came out within six months of each other. There are nine Reddit GameStop movies in development right now. (laughs) Uh, So it's like something that I think when you are a early career writer, you get super paranoid about and you're like, oh my God, there's not going to be room for my idea. There is. uh, And also like, it doesn't matter. Like, I think I also say in this, you know, don't be the person who yeah. is like, I'm not going to share my idea because someone might steal it. Like, no one's going to steal your idea. And even if they do, it's not, with very rare exceptions, concept isn't much. It's really execution. Right. So your take, if you and I wrote the same exact pilot idea, we would have two very different pilots. Yeah. So... It's a, uh, that's, I so that's the sort of thing that I chat about, chat on about. Uh, yeah. And it, and it's like, there's so much packed into even just that example where like you get these nuances of um, advice, which is like a thing that working writers know this thing about um, uh, people who are afraid their ideas are going to be stolen sort of marks you as a, a young writer or a new writer. Right. Um, but to have, to see that in print makes a big difference. And, and like, it puts us all on equal footing in a lot of ways, uh, at least as far as the knowledge that's out there. Totally. And I think there's so much that I didn't know when I was starting out that I wish I knew there's so much yeah. that I'm still learning now. Um, and you know, I want to dig into like both the big topics and the sort of like basic overarching stuff like I'm doing right now, but I also want to know in the future, like very micro like there will be an issue at some point dedicated to where the nearest bathroom is to every parking lot (laughs) because that's something that has tripped me up (laughs) oh my god totally that's great Uh, (laughs) just like helpful parking hints honestly will might be like a recurring series um i've lost my car in the galaxy lot at fox like eight times and i can help one person not make that That is brilliant. Yeah, it is those little specific things that like you're not going to put in, you're not going to find in a how-to book. You're not going to put in a how-to book, but that can live in in this newsletter that is genuinely helpful. Thank you. And the other thing too is that like I really, and in a future trip that I talked about books that have really helped me, like Mm -hmm. I loved like the TV writer's workbook by Ellen Sandler, but those books are pretty out of date. Like there's Mm -hmm. not unless I don't know about one, I don't think there's a TV writing book that feels really up to date. Like there are all still like, oh, you'll break in with a freelance episode. And yeah. it's like, what <laughs> is that like? <laughs> um, so this is sort of just trying to be like more current and mm-hmm. more uh, up to the minute with, cause it's, you know, it's all changing every day. So fast. I, my first job was in 2012 when network staffing season still felt like the be all and end all of getting staffed. And now yeah. it's like, like I, the other day I was like, oh, is it staffing season? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel like it anymore. It does not matter. Um, so it's kind of just like about uh, advice for this moment in time, I guess. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, and, and just to that for a second, um, I was thinking about this recently. I start when I started this podcast, I remember I think in maybe the first year of the show, there was a lot of talk about like 
Netflix is going to start doing scripted, new scripted television. And like, what does that mean for the industry? And like seeing that conversation take place in real, real time. And I I would urge people to go back to like those early episodes to sort of see how it took place um, and how the industry was responding. We're getting that now from you with Room Snacks. Again, a real time look at how the industry is evolving because it is fast and it is constant. Um, I wanted to ask you, why room snacks? Uh, you know, I gotta give credit. Allison Bennett, who is an incredible writer, um, came up with the title. Uh, and to me, it just sort of epitomized what I wanted. Because uh, these are sort of snack-sized pieces of information. Um, and I think, you know, as we're talking, it's April 2021. So we're not really in rooms having snacks right now. <laughs> I think that's one of the most uh, important things in a writer's room. And it's like, <laughs> like, you know, the big fucking box of peanut butter pretzels from Trader Joe's and pop chip and like weird gum and LaCroix. Like, <laughs> so it sort of is a little bit about the community of writers mm-hmm. and also, uh, you know, just a little snack. Someday I will also do a ranking of room snacks. Uh, I would hope so. I mean, listen. There's some classics. There's some that I think people are wrong about. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Can't wait. I want to see like a thermometer on the side of the website (laughs) where it's like this week I'm really, I'm trying to boost uh, Twizzlers. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Um, All right. Tell folks where they can uh, subscribe. So you can go to roomsnaps.substat.com and uh, subscribe there. Uh, Again, there will offer you a free option. You will not get anything except a weekly reminder from me that there is no free option. Um, <laughs> there's no such thing as a free room snack. Uh, and um, also you can go, There's it's linked to on my Twitter at Lila Cohan. Uh, and I think probably on my Instagram at Lila Cohan too. Uh, yeah. um, and I would like, if, if folks enjoy this podcast, um, they will enjoy this newsletter. It's, it's a similar kind of... Um, conversational, uh, valuable advice uh, that you get from this. And I have to give a shout out to the podcast because I have been listening to it since I was a early career writer and learned things and uh, learning like there's, I love it so much because there's nowhere else I think that does the kind of like very granular, uh, (laughs) very light. Uh, the stuff that writers really care about, which is like, <laughs> how do you format your scripts? Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and it makes me really happy. I listen to it in the car all the time. Oh, that's very kind. I appreciate it. Um, well, good luck to you. Uh, folks should check out Room Snacks and good luck with all the stuff you have going on, which we won't talk about now, but we'll talk about it hopefully in a future show. A dream. All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lyle. All right. This is how a podcast starts, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Um, This is going to be a great conversation. You are three talented writers and also performers, which is something I want to talk about. Um, But I'm going to start by asking you to introduce yourselves on the microphone so the listener knows what your voice sounds like. And Kingsley, let's start with you. Tell us who you are and where the listener may have seen your name on their television screen. 
It's a very common mistake, but it's it's Bentley, not Kingsley. But oh my God! No, no, no! It happens. I'm so sorry. Time. I get called everything. I'm I'm Bentley Kyle Evans. I get called uh, Barry. I get called. I've been called Kingsley before. I've been called Barrett, Brett, a number of names. But I'm Bentley Kyle Evans, and uh, you you know you may have seen uh, my name scroll across the screen on the Martin series, Martin and also the Jamie Foxx show that I created, and a number of others, uh, Love That Girl, Family Time, In The Cut, a, a number of different shows that have uh, graced the television screen over the last 25 years. Thank you. Uh, and Mike. Actually, my name's Kingsley. Um, a lot of people get that wrong. <laughs> uh, sorry that we were so... Uh, no, I am uh, the head writer and co-EP of Full Frontal with Samantha B. Um, you may have, I've written for The Tonight Show. I've written for Adam Ruins Everything, uh, Bill Nye. I also was a video game writer for a while. And so I've written, if you're a video game fan, things like uh, Nintendo's Kid Icarus Uprising. I was one of the English language writers. Uh, do you want to plug your Oh, right. <laughs> I also have a book that I forget <laughs> to plug on every podcast I go on. Uh, uh, speaking of video games, I wrote a full book about the game Silent Hill 2 for Boss Fight Books, which is an independent pub uh, which is an independent publisher that uh, does books about games. Incredible. Nice. That's great. Uh, and Chris? I'm Chris Brandon. Um, you would know my name from some obscure English theater. And uh, and also uh, a new show called Bloodlands, which has been on Acorn TV uh, for the last month. And uh, I'm the writer on that. Great. Um, and I did mention that you are all performers as well. And it's, so I think that's a, a pretty good place to start, because if I, unless I'm wrong, uh, and I may be, I've already gotten your names wrong. Um, I think, did you all get <laughs> did you all get your start as performers? Bentley, did you start out as a performer? Yeah, I did. Uh, I started out as an actor. Um, one of those things where I never felt comfortable acting. Uh, so I found refuge by hiding behind the scenes, which I felt very comfortable doing. But I did. I started out as an actor uh, uh, with Robert Townsend when he did the Hollywood Shuffle movie. And I think it was the biggest the biggest inductee uh, ever to get into the Screen Actors Guild. And we were Taft Heart lead. And so, yeah, I started out as an actor and found my way behind the scenes. But it's funny. I mean, you say you were never really comfortable there. Why, why get in in the first place? Uh, and then how did you start to make that transition? Um, it, was, it seemed like a cool thing to do. So you're living in L.A., right? And so, so here's the thing. Growing up in L.A., nobody thinks about being an actor. It just doesn't happen. People come here to become actors. And, you know, you have kids that go to your school that are leaving early, going to auditions and stuff like that. And you're like, man, that's, he's lucky. He gets to go to auditions and do shows. And then, you know, it, it becomes a thing where you go, it might be kind of cool to be on TV, you know, for the chick factor. And also, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just, you know, it just seems like a cool thing to do. So I let one of my friends talk me into going uh, to an audition. Uh, and that's pretty much how I got started with it. So it was, it was just a thing that it was like, let's do it to get popular. But I really wasn't committed to it. Yeah. And then so was writing also a part of your life or like what was the progression to getting into writing? Yeah. You know, the, the very first time I ever read a, a script, uh, I read uh, the movie, I'm going to get you sucker. I read it from cover to cover. And I fell in love. I was like, this, this is so funny and so stupid. And 
if I could make a living doing this, I would love to do that. So I, I knew that I was hooked by reading that script. And then I actually got my, um, you know, I actually got my start on Martin. Uh, I became the showrunner later, but I started as a staff writer. And what happened was I had been writing a bunch of spec scripts, you know, just I was the type of kid that would sit and watch TV and try to write alternate endings to the, to the series, to the shows. And I'm like, I could do better than that. I could write a better episode than that. And so I'm writing uh, Cosby show episodes and all these different shows that were on the air at the time. And I had a bunch of spec scripts. And then I started kind of like creating my own series that in my head that didn't exist. And uh, when I got my shot, when, uh, when Martin Lawrence was getting, uh, when he got the opportunity to do the Martin show, he asked me, we were friends and that's a, a long story. We won't go there right this second. But uh, he asked me what I wanted to do to help him out in this project. And I said, I want to be a writer. And I gave him a stack of scripts to read and I got the job and there's a lot of small details in there, but I ended up. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, well, we'll pick up on some of those details uh, in a minute, but Mike, let's talk about um, your trajectory. Did you start out as a stand-up? I started out as a stand-up. I always liked writing, um, <laughs> but you know, writing always seemed like something that other people do. Like, you know, when I was a teenager in college, I would take creative writing classes and I'd write short stories. And you know, looking back, there was a lot of sort of prototypical comedy in there. Like in my creative writing classes in college, I was often the only one who wrote jokes in my stories. You know, everyone else's stories when you're 20 are the most serious things on the planet. <laughs> and I would try to write funny stories. And but I never thought I'd be a writer. I always thought that was like a fun thing to do that, you know, special people do. Um, and in college, I kind of, you know, I had friends who were like, you should try you should try stand up. And I figured. I don't know, I'd always like stand up. So I went to an open mic. And I liked it and I kept doing it. And from there, I tried acting and sort of like Bentley, I realized I don't like acting. You know, like once stand-up started to take off, they were like, start auditioning for stuff and not audition. I'd be like, oh, I hate this. That's right. I, I don't know how to move my body. <laughs> um, but I know, how to, I know how to move myself on stage as me and I know how to write. And so I realized I was not gonna be a writer. And I also found out from going on the road that I found the road a bit depressing. Like I'd like the hour of doing stand-up, and then the 23 hours after that, I'd want to kill myself. So I, you know, slowly got into writing and I was able to freelance for the onion. And I started freelancing for different websites. And eventually I started freelancing for Weekend Update and got a bunch of jokes on there. And from there I sort of snowballed into the Tonight Show. And from there I had a career. That's so interesting. Did you, I mean, what was the entry into writing like how were you how did you have to sell yourself differently as a writer or did you know like did you know these folks from being a stand-up I would I would meet a lot of these folks from being a stand-up I was lucky mm -hmm. enough that I went to college in New York so I got to start stand-up in New York you know if you get to start stand-up in New York or LA you're already a step above everyone else who starts comedy in like other cities so I was lucky that like I was doing open mics with you know, staff writers for The Onion who were themselves trying to start doing stand-up. And, you know, uh, I would, you know, do book shows at bars with TV writers. And I, I didn't know how lucky I was at that time, but I got to meet a lot of people. And, you know, you do well in front of someone who's a writer on a thing. Sometimes they're going to ask you if you want to submit. Now, I will say that, you know, for everything I had to submit for, like The Onion, even though a, a writer there was like, you should submit, I still had to go through their process of, you know, Th there was a good chance that they could have rejected me still. I still had to go right. through their basic like 
freelance application process. I want to pick up on some of that stuff in a second, Mike, and talk about like those submission packets and stuff, because I think it's very similar to like the specs that Bentley was writing or that I was writing too. Um, but Chris, let's talk for a second about um, acting and writing. Um, are You are still an actor, is that correct? Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Um, that's, it's one of those, I mean, never say never, but I haven't done it in a while, like five, okay. six years. I think, I think once the writing took over, I was kind of like, do you know, I'm in my happy place. This is where I want to be. And uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't even know if I still have an acting agent. but it's nice to be in the situation that you don't have to find out yes Um, exactly and maybe it's that very uh that very english thing as well if you don't quite want the awkwardness of phoning up and going am i still do you still are we still Um, so let's let's talk about that i mean you you had a, a pretty you know lengthy career as an actor before getting into writing it seems like or writing professionally anyway yeah, I think I had I, I came through a very sort of traditional um, British system, which was sort of classical, leaving college and then uh, and then classical training. I did a two year sort of postgrad classical training and um, and then sort of jobbing after that in 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 theatre and, and different things like that. But I think uh, like Bentley, I always had dreams of like goldfish platform shoes from I'm going to get you supper. <laughs> so so I was kind of always angling for that. Whether as a performer or as 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 a writer, but I I think in uh, I just realised that in writing I I was in that headspace where I felt like creatively I could go down more rabbit holes than I than I maybe I was able to as an actor. I like I, I'm in I'm in awe of actors who can change on a sixpence, and I think I was like, oh my god, I'm still shouting. So I you know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think it was it was it's a better place for me to be quiet and and uh, and and thinking of ideas and and uh, you know always trying to get comedy but I've ended up in a kind of dark thriller sphere which is interesting as well. Well, I mean that's that's something we can talk about in a bit is you know you kind of don't get to choose where your career takes you very yeah, often. Yeah, sure. But... You, you end up in those places. Um while you were making a living as an actor though, like how did you make it known that writing was what you wanted to do how did you start to make that transition I, I i did which i suppose is the is a sort of the american influence which has sort of crept in over here of writing spec scripts so i started writing uh, just different spec scripts and sending them to people and i basically i just kept writing i would keep writing until mm-hmm. you know and and basically just keep sending them out probably harassing people but just sending scripts upon scripts until until there came a point probably in doing that that I got better anyway as a writer and, and then and then an agent started agents started to take notice and then through that I sort of that snowballed into it so I think I mean I'd always wanted to write and I'd started writing at drama school um and so it, it was that really it was just an unending process of sitting sort of cold and broke in my downtime in my flat <laughs> and I'm thinking do you know what I'm just going to write something that I want to see yeah and I think that's how so many of us start right yeah. is you know what's what's the show what's the movie what's the sketch even that i think i think would be great that doesn't exist out there right um were you writing um original pilots were you writing um specs of existing shows uh always original but i would Mm -hmm. say but but how original is debatable i mean i I think (laughs) yeah i think uh in, in in the back of your head i mean to start off with you're like i really like this show so I'm going to write my version of, of this show and, and not rip off the characters, but sort of try and do it differently. But maybe in, in that kind of uh, 
there's flattery in that, I think. And you learn in that. You learn from reading other scripts. And, and as you were saying, you know, you, you read these other scripts and you're like, Jesus, I could write, I could try and write like that. That would be great. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, even down to stylistic, like I would sometimes, I went through a phase of reading Christopher Nolan's scripts and be like, stylistically, I have to copy how he's doing this. And so uh, that's where I would end up. And, you know, and I think that's a really useful exercise. When I was about 15, I sat down and uh, pre pressed and paused on the usual suspects VHS and wrote the whole thing down. Wow. And uh, and and you kind of like it's stuff like that. You're just like I realize I might be slightly obsessed with this. <laughs> and we do always. I mean, I, I say that this comes up every once in a while, and I always like to recommend to new writers like reverse engineering a show, which it mm -hmm. sounds like is exactly what you did with the Usual Suspects, and I think a lot of us did with TV shows that we loved, um, whether it was consciously or not. Sort of taking them apart as you watch them and even, you know, going so far as to write down, do an outline or even, even a script just to see what makes it tick. Um, Bentley, I want to talk about that for you. Like when you were writing these early specs, how did you start to learn the language of TV? You were already in it as an actor, you know, to an extent, but those scripts are very different from sitting down, you know, reading a script is very different from sitting down and writing a script. Yeah, you know, it's it's wild, man. You know, it's like, you know, just the ignorance of of the the unknown. I, you know, when I started writing, um, um, I started reading all the scripts that I auditioned for, the ones that the, the 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 roles that I got and the roles that I didn't get. If I had the script, I would just study the script. I always tell writers all the time, you know, uh, you have to emulate what you see. And I literally just started like you know, like writing down my ideas, not in a particular format. I used to write on a note on notebook paper that honest to God truth, I was never, I was never good at typing, but I knew that I had the ideas and I would write it just like I saw it in the script on a notebook paper. And then there was a, there was a, um, a software called, uh, what was it called? Scriptware. And Scriptware actually put the script in a format. I think it was like the first uh, incarnation of, of, of software that did that before final draft. And I got that. So it, it it taught me how to, you know, pretty much line everything up and it had the different templates for TV. It was cheating. It was cheating. And, <laughs> and so, so um, I just started writing down the ideas. I didn't know what an ad break was. I didn't know the nuances of, of what a script should be. I just wrote it and I didn't work. I didn't worry myself with that kind of, you know, with those details, because I, I, I still don't think that that's important when you're first starting. I think that once you start, you know, learning how to take the ideas out of your head and put them on paper to where they're at least, uh, you know, where someone's at least able to understand what you're trying to say, then you start worrying about the structure more. And uh, yeah. that's just my, uh, but that's what I used to do. I used to just read a lot of scripts and emulate what I saw and, uh, you know, just try to take all these different nuances. I wrote a film one time and the film, it's called A Thin Line Between Love and Hate, and it was produced and out and everything. But I stole beat from beat by beat from Fatal Attraction. I watched Fatal Attraction. I said, I need that scene. I need a scene like that. I need this. I stole it. I, I, I'm here that day. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it laid the structure out perfect for me. So yeah, it works. And it, it becomes it becomes something else, right? Because it's filtered through you and it's about your the story you're telling. So like, yes. We can like structure is structure, but right. you know, 
it's the details that make it something else. Um, right. I'm curious to hear about like what uh, was Martin the first like regular writing gig that you got? Were you just you were a staff writer on that? I was a staff writer on there. I had written sketches for Keenan Ivory Wayans when he was doing uh, In Living Color. I wanted to be a sketch writer. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and at that time I was still trying to do sketch stuff and he bought a couple of my sketches, but they were never produced. And so, um, so Martin was my first staff writing gig. And I, I promise you when I got in the writer's room, that's when I knew this is where I'm supposed to be for the rest of my life. I'm six foot five. I was never an athlete. I was never, I was never a scholar. I, you know, I, I didn't know what where my space was, what, what, what am I supposed to do? Everybody else is so good at all these other things. And when I got in that writer's room and I saw a bunch of misfits like me and we're throwing stuff out at each other and we're laughing and we're, you know, eating the best lunches and we're just cracking up in this, in this, this room that's, that's set up for us to just be what we are. That's when I knew this is what I have to do for the rest of my life. And I started doing again, I started emulating. I would see other writers say things and I would go, hmm, maybe I should throw out something now. <laughs> and then you, it, it becomes a rhythm. You start watching the showrunner and you're looking for his acceptance and, and his validation. And then once you start to get it, you, know, you go, I'm pretty good at this. And being able to, you know, with Martin, I was able to take stories out of my real life and just lay them out there. So it, I became the 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 guy that kind of guided the stories because when you watch the show most of them came from my real life and it's the truth and martin and i were the same age we were going through the same type of things at that time and that character kind of followed like the guidelines of of what my life was at that time so yeah who uh who was the showrunner um at that time and what kind of room did he run uh the showrunner was john bowman uh, John Bowman had come from SNL. Uh, uh, you know, he was a lampoon guy. He had he had done um, In Living Color as well. He was a uh, I don't know if he was the showrunner on In Living Color, but I know he was a writer there. And so, with John John's method in in the room was he didn't he didn't rule with an iron fist. He kind of let everybody do and say what they wanted to say. It was a real creative. Uh, you know, mesh of things. It wasn't like, you know, where he had staff writers, you go in the other room and write cold opens, you guys, because I've seen that kind of thing before, but he actually allowed us all to have a voice. He valued everyone in the room, whether they were staff writer, co-exec, supervising, wherever, le whatever level they were at. And so um, the thing, it was just a very big collaborative effort. And John, I always say that he was like the Phil Jackson of uh, the writer's room because he probably wasn't the funniest guy in the room, but he knew funny when he heard it and he would just coach it. He would point his finger. That's it. That, 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 you know, and the writer, you know, the writers is typing and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so it was just a really fun atmosphere. Um, the show, I mean, the, the writer's room was actually, to me, it was, it was the show. We were way funnier than the cast and the things that we said about the cast, I hope that there's no recordings around anymore of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Because we had, I mean, we would just have a good time just uh, throwing darts at the cast members and, and stuff like that. But it was just a real fun experience. Very, very fun experience. That's great. I mean, what, what an entry into the business. Um, Mike, I want to hear about the, the early experiences you had as well. Um, but I want to start by talking about those packets that you mentioned, because those are like 
this is the way you get into late night and sketch writing and they can be tough. Um, they can also be a lot of fun, but it's, it's sort of trying to hit a target, especially if the show doesn't exist yet that you are unsure of. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the packet submission process for you. Um, you know, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, packets for late night shows are like a little portfolio of writing you have to do, almost like a little exam that you have a deadline on. And um, I, I don't know, it, you know, packets, there's the good, the good thing about them is that you can practice, you know, with a late night show, just like you can, you know, watch a sitcom and sort of take the beats you want from it. You can watch a late night show and go, okay, this is how Jimmy Fallon talks. This is how Stephen Colbert talks. This is how Trevor Noah talks. You know, um, and coming from stand-up, I was able to, in my head, kind of do an impression of them. You know, like when I got to Fallon, I would get called out by the other writers because I would literally, oh, sorry, I hit my microphone. I would be literally gesturing while I was writing because I was trying to like stand up out the ideas. So I would be writing monologue and being, and like trying to act it out in my head to get the rhythms right. And, um, you know, with packets, it's just practice. It's like practice with any type of writing. Um, the thing that most people get wrong about it is that they assume that every late night host has the same voice. And so people, you know, I've even read packets where people accidentally leave in the name Stephen when they're applying for a different show than Stephen Colbert show, you know, <laughs> um, and each late night show has a different voice, just like every sitcom has a different voice. Like if you're trying to get on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you can't write the same script you'd write for like Rick and Morty, you know, like they're different shows. Um, and so I just learned to do that. I learned how to imitate. I learned how to, you know, pick up voices. I would do the same thing where I'd watch, I would take a joke, I would take it apart. I would see how they do a setup, how they do an act out, um, how they use graphics over their shoulders. So you do the same thing that the other guys did. You're taking apart a script. You're trying to figure out how it works. And for me, my, my writing method with jokes, because that's how I broke in. I broke in with pitching Onion headlines, I, you know, pitching SNL jokes. When I was hired at Fallon initially, I was a monologue writer. And I was still a monologue writer when I left, but I started to get into more sketch work. And for me, I would just shotgun jokes. I would write, you know, I would read the news and shotgun, like literally just write joke, 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 trying not to think about quality, just writing the jokes. And I would review that page and go, oh, I like this idea. Can I iterate it to be funnier? And then I'd go through that almost like, you know, like um, when, you know, when you see like screen printing and it does different colors and it's like red, blue, green, that's how I would try to revise my jokes. And I would cut ones I didn't like, use ones I did. Um, and that really helped me. Shotgunning jokes really helped me because it helped me realize that I can't be so precious that I spend 15 minutes on one joke that doesn't work when my brain yeah. will eventually produce something that's usable. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's similar to what Chris was talking about with like, just doing those script after script after script, right? Like yeah. you you learn to write in this format. You learn to, you know, you hone your craft. That's really what it is. And, and it feels like that's that's what we do for those first 10 years. Yeah. Um, if we're lucky. Um, was So was Fallon the first uh, staff that you joined? It was the first staff job, um, first full-time staff job. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I got a bunch of jokes on Weekend Update, Seth Meyers was nice enough to take me to the ESPN Awards twice as a staff writer. Um, <laughs> I don't know sports that well, so I had to cram for a month beforehand. Like it was, yeah. like it was a fucking exam. Um, but I wanted that credit and I wanted that money. So uh, yeah, so I was lucky enough to do a couple of award shows here and there beforehand. And I was doing a lot of stand-up, like I got Montreal New Faces as a stand-up. So um, I sort of had a career going before I was a staff writer at Fallon, but I think staff writer at Fallon is when I was like, oh, I am a comedy writer. 
Mm -hmm. And and yeah, you're you sort of get in the system and you yeah. you know meet other writers and, and other producers and stuff. Um, was there even though you're you know you became you joined as a monologue writer there? Yeah. Did it feel different to you know writing jokes on your own? Actually, no. I weirdly it it like my process made me able to do this instantly. Like people got <laughs> mad at me because my third day I got four out of the eight jokes in the monologue. Um, whereas like most people, it takes a couple weeks to start getting things on. I hit the ground and just got things on because I knew how to look at, because, um, and backing up for a lot of shows, and this doesn't apply to every show, but for weekend update and Fallon and a few other shows, uh, traditional late night shows with traditional monologues, they'll send you setups. So they'll send you like, and setups are, you can change them, but it's like, you know, today this happened. They found the world's fattest dog in a mailbox, this, that, this, that. And I would just take those and shotgun again. And I was able to hit the ground running. It was weird for me because it felt like, oh, this is what I do. That makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. Um, Chris, let's let's talk about that. A similar thing, um, looking at the shows that you've written on and I'm looking at um, Red Rock and Bloodlands, were these room shows or were they more like the traditional um, British dramas, which tend to have one or two writers? More like the traditional version, and it's fascinating to hear to listen to the to the room shows uh, because I think if I do miss any aspects of of acting, it's that idea of the rehearsal studio of everybody in together and throwing these ideas back and forward and the laughter as well. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it's so writing writing here is perhaps more of a a, a, a lonely profession, but it's um, <laughs> but it, yeah, on Red Rock, which was more of a. Um, a police procedural there were there were many writers so you would have a meeting at the beginning of the season but it was for a day or an afternoon or something yeah. and then you would they would run through the ideas and, and sort of tone and stuff like that but bloodlands at least i have two great executive producers in um jeb mercurio and mark redhead and and together we sort of throw that story back and forth but at the end of the day yeah the writing is 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 just me and it's uh yeah so it's it's more of a solo thing but i'd love to get that i mean being in a room sounds fantastic it really is. You should do yeah. it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, let, let me talk about, you know, something I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm often asked on Twitter by new writers is like, how do you trust your ideas? Um, and, you know, my, my answer is usually like, well, I've been doing this long enough. So I, I know what works for the story I want to tell. And maybe I'm wrong, but it's the one I'm choosing, right? At a certain point, you just have to make a choice. So I'm curious to hear, like on Bloodlands, um, how do you find your footing in telling this story? You know, when you don't have eight other people to bounce ideas off of. Uh I mean, that's, yeah, it's interesting. I think like any of us, we first and foremost, you're a fan. So you come to it as a fan. And if you write something and at the end of it, you think, ah, no, I'm not sure I really enjoy that, then get rid of it. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's sort of about entertaining yourself at the end of the day, isn't it? And you, you've just got to get to that point. And then I suppose the big breath moment is when you then hand it over to the execs and the development people and, and they read it and come back to you and go, oh, it's, yeah, it's okay. Uh, and so, and then that's when the discussion starts. But but the um, but but it, but it's great to just write things to to really grip yourself and entertain yourself. I think that's it's a sort of it's it yeah it makes your head a big empty space that you can play around in, which is good fun. That makes sense. Um, what are the what are the challenges? I suppose the challenges are that are are not having that immediate sort of springboard of somebody else to talk to and go I'm thinking of this and for mm -hmm. them to immediately go maybe it would be better if you did that 
And if you, and, and, and if you want to talk something through, I think it's about depriving your friends of their precious time <laughs> or something like that. Whereas it's, it's not a room full of people who are all there with the same objective. It's somebody else going, I'm kind of trying to do something else. Do you mind stopping? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I think that's the main, that's sort of one of the main challenges, really. It makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, let's let's come back to that in a sec uh, because I want to make sure we talk about the Jamie Foxx show, uh, Bentley. Um, tell me about the getting that show off the ground and like, how do you know what the right vehicle is for Jamie Foxx uh, at that time? Yeah. Um, so you know, at that time, I mean, this is well before the Oscar and. Um, and I think, you know, we had become familiar with Jamie from In Living Color, uh, playing the iconic Wanda character, which was just so absurd. And I think, you know, when I got to Warner Brothers, I had a deal, a development deal at Warner Brothers. And Jamie, I, you know, when, they, when you get there, they give you this roster of all the talent that they have deals with in case you're thinking about bringing someone else in. You're like, no, no, we have a list. And so I look on this list. I see Jamie Foxx's name on there and I'm just kind of, you know, I'm still doing the Martin show at the time. And I felt like there's certain similarities that I could really work with. And so I asked them to set me up with a meeting with Jamie and they had assigned him to another showrunner. And I said, you gotta get me in a room with him. Let me just get in a room with him. So once I sat down with him, I convinced him that I was the guy that he needed to be with. I didn't have an idea what the show was, but he needed to be with me. And after a little bit of convincing, he says, you know what? You know, I, I like where you're coming from. I, I will, let, let's do that. So I pitched him a bunch of ideas. He hated every last one of them. <laughs> everyone, everyone. Let and me so, stop you there. I want to hear about that. Uh, like, what kind of stuff are you pitching? Because like, it could be anything, right? Like, you just know, like, here's the guy to build the show around. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so, so, you know, it's obvious that Jamie Foxx is a, is a musician, you know, he's classically trained musician. And so my thought was, it's got to be around the record industry. And this is when, when P Diddy was at his, you know, he was at the apex and I was like, maybe we'll make him a record exec. Yeah. That's brilliant. We'll, we'll do this thing around a record company. And then I pitched that to him. No. Okay. Maybe he's a, he's a songwriter. Everything was about music. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I just thought that that was, he's an A&R man. None of, he wasn't interested in any of that stuff. So he said, you know what I want to do? I want to do a show about a hotel. And I said, what about a hotel? He goes, my character comes to live with his aunt and uncle at a hotel. And I said, and he goes, that's for you to figure out. And I was like, <laughs> Wow, what the hell? A hotel? I know nothing about the hotel industry, the business, anything. So then I had to do my research. I had to create these characters that would accompany him and really put together, you know, an ensemble that really worked well together. And I took characters out that were right in my own life and, you know, modeled the characters after them. And then I, I pitched it back to him. He loved it. And so now we go into Warner Brothers studios and we go to the president of Warner Brothers at the time and we pitch uh, we pitch him this idea and you've never seen a storyteller like Jamie Foxx this guy will go in a room he'll sell the show for you as a showrunner he's a dream because you're going yeah just do your thing I'm just going to set it up and let you go 
and he's doing sound effects. He's helicopter. He's doing everything in this pitch and he's, he's captivating. And so we pitched this thing and Warner Brothers says, we like it. Let's take this thing out. So we, we, now we have this pitch formulated. We take it to ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, uh, the WB, which was a new incarnation. And we took it one other place too, but whatever it was, ABC came back right away and says, we want to do a pilot. Well, the WB says, we'll do six episodes guaranteed on air. So now we have a bit of a, uh, of a fight because Jamie and his manager at the time, they wanted to go with ABC because of prestige. <laughs> I wanted to go with WB because I was the one, hey guys, we get on over there. We're going to be on for a while. Let's do that. And so after a little bit of a little bit of a fight, we ended up on the WB. And I think it kind of formed a wedge between me and Jamie's manager because mm-hmm. he felt like I had too much control over Jamie's ear. So we ended up going to WB and we did 100 episodes. Unbelievable. Fantastic. And now, and now I'm back working with Jamie again on a new show. So it's That's great. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so clearly that partnership works. I mean, like. When you're when you're working with someone like that, someone like Martin, with whom you clearly clicked, like, tell me about that that relationship. Like, tell me about you know the the give and take between yeah. the writer and performer. So for for me, any anybody that I'm going to spend a lot of time working with and for, I have to get to know the the person intimately. So it's like with with Martin. I had an unfair advantage because we were already very, very close friends. And I knew his parents. I knew his sisters and brothers. I had been to his hometown. I knew everything about him. And I would sit there and just watch his, you know, just watch his, his day-to-day activity. And I would take his, his, his cadence and his sayings and everything. And kind of like, I know, no, he won't say couch. He'll say sofa. No, he won't say this. He'll do that. And I would just kind of really get to know. It, they became a case study. And with Jamie Foxx, now that's something totally different because Jamie Foxx is is true genius. It's like, I've never really met a true genius until I met Jamie. His mind works a completely different way. He's got ADD, but then he's got this, this other thing, this genius thing. I was working with him recently and I was pitching him an idea and he just gets up in the middle of me pitching and walks away. He's still looking at me, but he walks away and goes over to his piano and he just starts playing as, while I'm pitching and I'm going, what's, what's going on? And, and then he stops after about 10 minutes. He goes, sorry, I had to get that out. It was just in my head. And it was, but it sounded beautiful. And I was going, what's going on with this guy? What's, where is he right now? But then <laughs> when, you, when you get him in front of that camera, he goes bananas. He goes berserk. But I, again, I, I got to know him and what he was about, what his family was like. Um, and, and he's a very complex guy and comes from a really humble beginning, really humble beginning. So I had to go to his hometown, meet his grandmother before she passed and, and ask a lot of questions because I really want to know who it is that I'm working with. It makes a lot of sense. And, and clearly like that, that process pays off, right? You can dig deep. You can, yeah. you can create the characters together. And then another another advantage you have with both of those guys, Martin and Jamie, they were both stand-up comedians. So you got a chance to see their act and you can learn a lot about a person from their comedy act as well. 
Absolutely. And, and Mike, I mean, you're, you're nodding through this. Yeah. You have to have a similar relationship, right? Whether it's with Sam B, whether it was with Bill Nye, whomever, but to yeah. like be able to write in the voice of these very specific performers. Yeah. You have to get to know them. You know, you have to get to know what they like. I mean, a huge thing of, you know, late night writing is you are kind of writing stand up in a certain way, you know, or a sketch, you know, you're, you're, you're writing for a different type of viewer and audience. And you kind of need to learn the rhythms. You also need to learn what they won't say. You know, like that's another thing I'll notice in packets is, you know, people will, you know, people are clearly watching this and look, we, we're all funny in our own ways, but you need to figure out how to be funny in their way while still being funny in your own way, which is a hard Venn diagram to create. Um, but at the same time, if like you're making Jimmy Fallon say fuck in your packet, people are going to be like, well, he wouldn't do that. You know, like, um, so a lot of it, it's not just figuring out what they would say or their personality. It's also being like, what do they hate talking about? What do they always avoid? Or what do they love talking about? And it seems like they want to talk about more. Like one thing that weirdly um, a lot of late night shows suffer from is, you know, a lot of networks want to promote sports for synergy. And a lot of late night writers don't know sports that well. And so, you know, think about things that you might know if you're applying for a job like that too. Like, you know, shows like Jimmy Fallon love people who know showbiz and can write about showbiz gossip. You don't have to be a political genius to write for a late night show, but you do have to know what the host wants if you're going to work there. That makes sense. And and looking at Sam B, I mean, that is a different format from the shows you've worked on before. Yeah. It tackles uh, stories a little more in depth. Tell me a little bit about that adjustment, if there was one. Um, well, luckily I'd worked on, you know, working on the Bill Nye show and working on Adam Ruins Everything. I'd worked on shows that had a research team where you had to meet with people who were going to fact check you and fact check your jokes, um, which is not I, honestly as bad as it sounds, because having like three to five researchers in a room means you have three to five non-comedy people in a room that you're trying jokes on. And so it is nice in a writer's room to have people that have no stake in getting their material on the show because you sure. sort of get a neutral audience, which is fun. Um but yeah, no, it, it wasn't that different, thankfully. Um, the difference is, is, is that you're working off usually a research packet, you know, just like on a, you know, on a show, you might be working off a synopsis or an outline, you know, you're going, all right, we need to hit this fact. We need to hit that fact. Maybe we need to cut that for time. So you're not just putting in the comedy. You're also trying to, as opposed to story, like you might have in a lot of shows, you're trying to figure out the jokes and the information um, just in a so shorter time frame. Makes sense. Um, and, and on Sam B right now, like, tell me about the collaborative effort. Like, what does is, what is the room work look like? Sure. Um, well, right now, uh, obviously, we're remote, so it's a little less fun. You know, we don't, you know, like, the problem is even writers' rooms, you know, like Bentley saying, they're super fun because you're in the room and you're, like, bouncing off each other and you're like, yeah, and this happens and this. Oh, and then we have it look this way. Um, but on Zoom, you constantly say, no, I'm sorry, you go. No, no, wait, wait, you go. And the energy is super interrupted because you, instead of feeling like you're yes anding, you feel like you're being rude, um, which sucks. Um, but our process is, um, you know, first of all, we let everyone at the show pitch, no matter if you're a PA, no matter if you're a writer, you can pitch a topic because, you know, in our eyes, you know, you can't, you can only write a script if you're a writer, but like, if you're passionate about something that we're not thinking of, we want to hear about it because we want to talk about things people are passionate about, especially on an issues-based show. So we'll get, we'll pick topics, you know, uh, Kristen Bartlett, who's the other head writer, uh, she and I will pick topics. We'll go to Sam, we'll run through topics. Sam will pick the ones she likes. And then um, 
Kristen and I work with the research team. We sort of go like, what do we need to talk about? What, what shouldn't we be talking about? What's talked about way too much already on other shows? And we'll create an outline. And then we have a meeting with the writers and the writers, you know, and writers will be like, oh, I don't think that's right. Or we're missing a huge chunk of something. And we have like an in-depth conversation, both about comedy angle, but also, you know, what people feel. Our writers, you know, our writers all have comedy backgrounds, but they're all passionate about issues. And so we'll go from there. We'll figure out angles. People pitch bits. You know, uh, one of our writers, Holly Walker, she pitched this bit to have like sort of like a racist monument roadshow type thing to make fun of antiques roadshow. Um, <laughs> You know, and and it was and it was super fun. And so we do that. And from there, then we the writers pick parts of the script uh, will in the outline will be like part one, part two, part three, part four, part five, part six. And mm -hmm. uh, writers will go, OK, I want one and three or I really want to do this one. Sometimes writers will write the whole way through if they're hyper passionate. But, you know, we feel like our job is to maximize their ability to write jokes to the information, not to explain like our jobs as head writers is to make it cohesive with information. Their job is to make it funny. Um, and so we get the scripts and then Kristen and I assemble them. We put them together and then we have a rewrite session with a couple of the writers and the writer's assistant. Usually in the past, it would have been the full room, but because of the nature of things, we try to like limit the size so people don't feel rude when they have ideas. Gotcha. And uh, so we rewrite the script, Sam reads it. We rewrite it again. We fact check it with the researchers and then it goes to air. It's a, it's a honed process. It's um, a honed process. And, we'll also, oh, and it works. One thing we'll also do that is more of a late night thing is we have, sometimes if we have holes in a script, we'll like post basically a Google doc and it's been like, help us fill this hole writers. And so like, we'll just take joke pitches on it. Again, usually that would happen in the room in a more fun form, but yeah. it's kind of nice to open a Google doc and find 20 jokes on one video. <laughs> sure. That's great. Um, I want to just touch on before we have to go um, process itself. And Chris, let's start with you on this. Uh, well, you are toiling away on hour-long scripts all by yourself. Um, what does your what does your process look like? What does like a typical day look like when you're just working on scripts, not in production? Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll start with some good music, and then uh, and then have some ideas to some good music. I think everything is uh, works better with a with a nice soundtrack, and then I'll write notes, and then um, and then sort of build a structure and, and I mean at the moment I'm very much in days of trying to build a structure of a season so we're, we've been recommissioned for a second season which is great so it's just trying to build the, the story of that and then um and then once so I let's let me let me interrupt for a second just yeah. like let's drill down on that even more yeah as you're trying to formulate the structure of a season like literally what does that look like are you on the computer are you writing on notepads are you taking walks like what what does it look like I should do more walks, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I do, uh, it's, it's all of this. It's notes, it's computer. It's, it's when I get bored of one, I move to the next one. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's basically uh, my own personal attention deficit where I just shift around until I'm like, okay, that's now clicking. I can write that. I can basically, usually the computer feels like the final bit. Sometimes I try and cheat by writing it on the computer first and then I realize it's not working. So I have to mm -hmm. go away, write notes and, you know, it's anything and everything that works. Uh, and then just building totally it like, sense. what's next, what's next? Yeah, and that shifting, there's something about that shifting, isn't there, that like can give you a little jump start to yeah. tackle something new or tackle something better or I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? And, and, and um, in this sort of world of lockdown as well, when you've got the family around, sometimes your mind doesn't focus until nighttime. And I'll write late into the night just because 
there's nothing else going on. You're getting no messages. It's a straight, it feels like a straight yeah. show. But um, yeah. yeah, I should probably get a dog or something and then I could <laughs> long, thoughtful walks. Now's the time. Now's the time. Um, absolutely. Um, Bentley, I imagine you are on constant deadline. Like you're going from show to show to show. You're producing some shows, you're show running other shows. Like, are you just constantly working? Are you constantly writing? Like, what does it look, what does your life look like? No, you know what? I'm not doing as much writing anymore. It's more so on the producing side. I have gotten mm. to the point to where I now can really trust people to, to get the vision out. And so I've learned how to delegate that, which was the hardest thing for a writer to do because you feel like, no, if I, it has to be like this, but I've gotten to the point to where I can let go a little bit and, and trust the team that I've built around me. And I have a lot of great people that I work with. Um, but I do, you know, when I do uh, go into my writing mode, you know, uh, you know, like uh, Chris said, it is a very lonely place to be. And I have specific uh, parameters that I put on myself. I too like to have great music that's playing with no lyrics because I have written lyrics on the on the script on the page before that I'm listening yeah. to and yes. somehow on, on the page. And uh, you know, I'm a I'm a, a fragrance guy, so I always have incense uh, going. Oh, nice. And so, um, you know, I just like to have just nice, colorful things around when I'm when I'm writing. But uh, the but the process has gotten a lot easier for me once I learn how to relax and let go and not feel like everything is on me. I have people around me because I trust their instincts. So now I have to let them do what they do to make my life easier. And so that was the hardest part for me. The, but the process, again, yeah. it's the same thing. It's late night. I feel like while the world is sleeping, I'm getting something done. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I got away from the writing for a long time and just I started directing a lot. And then when I had to get back into writing, I was like, I can't stay awake. What am I going to, what am I going to do? Maybe I'll try Adderall. Maybe I'll do whatever. <laughs> I got to stay away from here. But, but I got back on my horse and started riding in the sunset again. So that's the process for me. That's great. Oh my gosh. Uh, and Mike, what does, what does your writing process look like? It sounds like there's so much management involved. Do you actually still get to write? Um, I think the most of the rewriting Kristen and I get to do is when we're assembling, because assembling you're taking, you know, three to four disparate pieces from three to four disparate, you know, different voices, and you kind of put them together. So that's, you know, that's on the regular, the most writing we do is sort of punch up, revising. Chris and I will also often write sketches for the show um, because they're fun to do and we want to. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is management. A lot of it's punch up. A lot of it's just, you know, going like this joke doesn't work. Can you guys give me another joke? And then what have you. But my background is joke writing. So there'll be times, you know, writers will come to me or Kristen and be like, hey, I don't know what to do here. Do you have ideas? And we'll help them with that. And we'll help them get through that. You know, for a couple writers, this is their first gig ever. And we want to be supportive. We want them to feel like, you know, they have a safety net because probably all of us have worked at places where we didn't have that safety net or you didn't have someone going, yes, you're okay. Um, so, but my writing process itself, uh, much like Bentley, I listen to music, no lyrics. Um, I listen to, this won't surprise anybody, mostly video game soundtracks. Um, I try to listen to things that sort of have a mood to them, but also don't overwhelm, you know? So I can't mm -hmm. listen to like fucking holst the planets, but I can listen to like, sort of like a subtle, nice little thing. Um, and I have little playlists I do. 
sort of like Chris, I move around. I have, um, because I'm a big fucking nerd, I have four different laptops. So I have a Mac, that's a work laptop. I have a tiny laptop I'll take into a park. I have this where I'm recording on is in my room, which is my gaming laptop. Um, and I'll move around. So like when I'm rewriting, I'll be at this desk. When I'm doing phone calls, I'll be standing over there in my kitchen on another laptop. I just try to move around a lot, especially now because I live in a one bedroom apartment. <laughs> Right. We're, we're crazy, man. Writers, we are insane, aren't we? Psychosis, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. surely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, this has been terrific. Uh, it's really been a pleasure talking to you all. Let's uh, get the plugs first. Um, Chris, Bloodlands, um, has it, is it out already? Do you know where people can see it? It's out. It's on Acorn TV. I okay. think it finished last week, Great. I think. So go get your go get your free Acorn Week. Uh, watch Bloodlands and then keep it for season two. Let <laughs> <laughs> it expire. Um, change your name. Do it again next year. <laughs> listen, we I can't condone it. They may be a sponsor. <laughs> um, Bentley um, is family time. Is that what's up next? No, you know what I I did uh, ninety one episodes of Family Time. Um, Holy for- cow. Yeah, for the Bounce TV network. I don't know if we're going to get reordered. It makes sense for us to do nine more. But um, I don't know what's going to happen there. I know I have a, a, a new show that, uh, called Millennials where we shot six right. episodes. And it's on uh, on the All Black Network, which is like an AMC network. It's called All Black. That does not mean that others can't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I've got uh, Dad Stop Embarrassing Me with Jamie Foxx yes. and um, David Allen Greer on Netflix, which premieres on, on the 14th of April. And awesome. yeah, so, and then next for me, I'm doing another show. Uh, there was a, a rapper once, once upon a time named MC Light, and I'm doing a, a new show with her uh, as well for the AMC Networks as well, uh, called Partners in Rhyme. So that'll premiere sometimes in November, but we start uh, in about 10 days. Oh, wow. Good luck. Good luck. Thank you. That seems terrifying. No, it's great. I, I'm better when I'm working. I'm telling you, I'm I'm so much better when I'm working. I got to have, keep me busy. <laughs> well, you're certainly busy. Uh, and Mike, we talked about Silent Hill 2. People can check that out the book. Um, and Sam B is ongoing, right? Like you're yep. not on hiatus right now or anything. Uh, well, this week we are on hiatus, but by the, the week we're recording, I think the week we air, we will be back. Uh, Wednesdays, right. 1030 on TBS. Superstation. Um, you can go to <laughs> you can go to YouTube. We also have clips on YouTube. Um, yeah, please watch us and enjoy us. Uh, it, it continues like it's so consistently great. I feel like I've been watching from the beginning, and there just hasn't been a dip in quality. It's so smart. It's so funny. Um, that's very nice. that's a testament to all of you. Uh, let's find out what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your uh, the people in your home or your room or uh, in your life? Chris, what are you watching? We watched uh, Michaela Cole's show, I May Destroy You, which was pretty incredible. She was, uh, yeah, she's kind of a genius and uh, was phenomenal. And uh, and the geek side of me has really enjoyed catching up on uh, The Expanse, the latest season of The Expanse on Amazon. That was great. Nice world building. It's it's really immersive. Yeah. Good answers. Bentley, what are you watching these days? Uh, not comedy. I, I usually don't watch a lot of comedy because I don't want it to influence what I, influence what I'm doing at all. But I'm you know of course I can't wait for Ozark to come back. I loved Ozark. The last three seasons. The last season was interesting. I, I would say. Uh, I got into this Lupin uh, this Lupin series on Netflix that it was it was rather interesting. Is it good? Uh, the French one. 
Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, at first I was like, "Eh," but then I I got into it and uh, I see they're getting ready to drop a new season. So I'm interested in that. Um, Your Honor, I I, uh, just finished Your Honor. I hate Your Honor because (laughs) I mean, it was it was done. It was done great, but I hated the sun. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. I'm not going to. I haven't seen it. But I wanted to kill Brian Cranston's son. I wanted to choke. I've never been mad at a character to the point I had to turn off <laughs> the TV. So I'm watching a lot of that stuff. Of course, I just finished the Final Four and all that stuff. And uh, so, um, you know, just anything that's interesting that a friend recommends. So any good recommendations, I'll take them. <laughs> well, we've got a couple already. And Mike, what else do you want to recommend? Uh, I am watching uh, a sitcom called I'm Sorry that I found on Netflix. Someone recommended to me. It's really fun. Uh, I'm, I'm a di- like because my background is joke writing. I'm just I love dialogue. So any show that has funny dialogue, I'm in love with. And I'm also watching The Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I like to enjoy TV once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun, isn't it? It's super fun. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a like classic sort of 80s like action drama, but with an enormous budget. Right. Exactly. It's like a it's like a buddy. It's like a buddy comedy with Disney money. Yeah. Um, I recommend I'll recommend a uh, comedy show to you, which someone on this podcast recommended to me like a month ago. And my wife and I have torn through them uh, called Stath Let's Flats. That's great. Oh, my God. What's it on? Uh, It's on HBO Maximum. Uh, You can check it out. Um, There are two seasons and I think another is coming. Ridiculously funny. Very, uh, the very funny, um, um, I forget his name, the lead actor in that, but he keeps popping up in other things like The Great, which was excellent. As yeah. Well. Oh, I love The Great. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, I forgot he was in that. He's yeah. so good. Um, and and his sister who's on the show is on What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, um, she's an she's Which is also fantastic. Yeah. Unbelievable. These are all the recommendations. Thank you guys so much for chatting today. Uh, this was a real pleasure. Good luck with all the stuff. I'm excited to see what you're all uh, turning out. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Oh, the righteous you. gemstones too. The righteous gemstones is funny too. That's it is good. Watch that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank man. you guys. Forever dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.